I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. Uh, I'm uh, Leonard Davis. I'm the associate campus pastor here. And uh, uh, you guys, you guys are too kind. You guys are too kind. Uh, hey, listen, um, as always, man, I have a lot to say, but I won't keep you too long. But I'm going to jump right in because of that and take you back to 1986. Um, uh, I'm taking you back, Doc. Uh, bam, there it is. Oh, look at this here. Look at that family there. I would do my best to try to keep it together. I have so many stories and so many things to say. But listen, you see me there. Uh, I'm in the blue blazer, uh, clean as ever. Um, and just so you know what that means, clean does not mean the absence of dirt. I mean, I wasn't dirty, but I looked good. That's what clean means. So if, if someone tells you they're clean, they're saying they look nice, okay? Um, so clean as ever since 1986. Uh, my, my family prophesied because they had me in a blue blazer because that's my favorite color today. Um, but let me go back to how clean I was, though. So they called me the milkman. Um, and so if you don't know, back in the day, they would deliver milk, and the person that delivered milk, he would have on an all-white coverall or all-white uniform to deliver the milk and so the milkman was clean and so therefore they called me the milkman when I was a kid there you go the ironic thing is I don't drink milk at all um, but I was the milkman uh, so anyway so let me get back to this picture so you see my mother and my father there um, uh, so this was they were both on their second marriage and then you have um, you see, let's see to the left top left is my oldest brother his name is Dwayne. He's like 12 years older than me. So uh, I'm three in the picture. So he, uh, he had to have been about 15. And then to uh, his right uh, is my brother uh, Hubert. We called him Hub for short. Uh, so he had to have been about um, 13, 14 in the picture. And then uh, next to me in, in the black blazer is my brother Vail. That, so, so my mom had Hub and Dwayne uh, in a previous marriage. And then she met my father and had me and my brother. So there's Vail. His name is Humphrey. My, fa my father's name is Humphrey Norville Davis. My brother was named after my father. So he's Humphrey Norville Davis II. Uh, he's like five years older than me, right? So, so what's that? So he's about eight years old um, in the picture. And so, and then you have my mom, and I'm a mama's boy. Um, so real quick. So in this season, right, this is the glorious season for me here in this picture for a few reasons. Number one, my family's all together. Um, number two, I'm the youngest, and so I experienced a certain level of favor as being the youngest child and having older brothers. They would take care of me, they would look after me, and then I would get spoiled. It was an amazing time. And then you had, um, man, you had the block, right? Our block in the hood, right, from intersection to intersection, that was our community, and that was my playground, in a sense, and I rode my big wheel up and down my block all day long. Um, and it was also glorious because I wouldn't do that today. We're in a different time. So we lived in a time where you could, where you could do that. Um, so anyway, but shortly after this picture was taken, uh, man, my, my parents would get a divorce. So they would get divorced uh, maybe one, two years after this picture was taken. And then my two oldest brothers, they went to go uh, stay with my mom. And then my father, he fought for custody of me and my brother, right, which, which in some cases is, is uncommon. He was, he was very serious about his role um, as, as a father, right? As a matter of fact, like, like he wouldn't let me call him dad. My father was the type that said, man, dads just have babies and don't take care of their kids. But, but a father takes care of his kids. So I couldn't call him dad. So he was my father. He let me get away with calling him pop. So I called him pop. But I definitely couldn't call him dad. That wasn't a thing. So he was really serious about him uh, being a father. And so much so that, that when he was married to my mom, he was the type of person, really old school. So my father didn't do laundry 
He didn't cook, right? He didn't do all those things. And so for him to say that, oh, I'm going to fight for custody of my boys meant that he's now going to take up all those responsibilities, right? And so, uh, so when he learned how to cook, he would say things to me like, um, we ate a lot of boiled and baked chicken. Um, because as long as they had water, it was going to be good, right? So, so, so listen, so being with him, he was trying to figure it out, laundry, the whole bit, pink stuff, you know, the whole deal. We went through it all. But, but he was willing to go through it because he loved his boys, right? Um, so let me, let me fast forward. I, I want to give you a picture of a little bit of what it was like to, to be with my father. And so, because I was like an only child. Because what happened was, um, my, my brother closest to me, Vale, um, he kind of drifted toward the streets, and then he was older than me. And so that meant, for the most part, it was just me and my father at the house. And just so here's a, a quick picture of what it was like living with my father and who my father was. Okay, I remember coming home. I was around in the first grade. I was showing my father some of my work from school. Right, I, I had to have been excited about it. I don't remember why, but I showed it to him, and he flips out at me because on my paper I put Leonard. I didn't put Davis. Because for him, my last name was important and it was significant. And when I put my name on my paper, I better put Leonard Davis. Flipped out. I'm in first grade. I'm like, wow, right? Another instance, right? My father, he, he, just, he just was a very particular man. So he valued, he said that, man, when you have a meal, you better have bread on the table. I'm telling you, old school. You better have bread on the table. So we always had, it was either bread or crackers or cornbread, something, but bread had to be on the table. So he was an entrepreneur, and so sometimes when he knew he wasn't going to be home in the evening, he would cook dinner for me and leave it for me. So I'm, I'm in middle school or high school, and so I come home, and food is there, which I can appreciate. And so, so I tear the food up, and then he comes home, and then he checks the oven, and there's cornbread in the oven. Well, I didn't look in the oven, right? So he sees the uh, cornbread untouched in the oven. Guess what he did? He flipped out. Because I didn't have bread on the table. Another instance, I'm in high school. I'm about to graduate, so I'm trying to get college ready. I'm filling out my FAFSA, right? And so, um, so I have multiple FAFSA forms. I think I'm being smart, y'all. I'm like, I got it. I'm going to fill it out in pencil first. And then once everything's solidified, I'm going to write it in pen, right? He didn't like that idea. He flips, I, and I don't remember the details, but, but I just know he flipped out. And so he's coming at me. He's throwing punches. And then I'm like this because I'm a little faster than he is, and his punches can't land. And then the look of frustration on his face because he couldn't hit me. It's funny now, but it wasn't funny then. But he wanted to hit me so bad, but he couldn't. But listen, but this is what it was like living with my father. It was, it was really intense. All eyes were on me. Um, and I really, I walked around on eggshells because I didn't know what it was that was going to set him off. So anyway, so uh, my brother that's next to me, Vale, right, so he passed away in 2003, high-speed police chase. And then my father, he dies in 2005 of stomach cancer, okay? So fast forward, um, so from 2005, he passes away. Fast forward 10 years, right? I find myself in Orlando, Florida. I'm on a work trip. And then I see this hotel. This is the Swan Hotel in Orlando, Florida. And immediately I start weeping. Like it was wild. And because what happened is when I saw this hotel, it reminded me uh, that my father took us to Disney World when, in 1992, right? I was nine years old. He took us to Disney World. And so, so for whatever reason, in that moment, when I saw this hotel in the distance, man, I thought about things in a different way. I said, oh, man, like, 
Like my father actually, this all happened really fast in my head. My father actually planned a trip for his boys to go to Disney World. It was me, uh, my father, and my brother. Like, man, he, he planned that out. Like, he, he thought through that thing. Like, he probably was excited about all the fun that we were going to get to experience in Disney World. And, and, and normally, I would have thought that he would have brought a girlfriend with him. But no, he didn't bring a girlfriend. It was just him and his boys. And then it was a sacrifice for him because he, uh, he had mobility issues. And so if he would walk, walk long distances, he would, he would be in pain. But that did not stop him from, from creating this experience for him and his boys. And in that moment... I saw him and his love for me in a different way, and it, it, just, it just tore me up. And, I, and, and it, it made me grow my affection for my father and who he was and his love for me. Because prior to that, though, um, I think my view of, of my father's love for me was obstructed. Because every time I thought about being raised by him, I thought all about all those intense moments, and I thought about me walking on eggshells the whole time. But this allowed me to see him and his love for me in a different way. And, man, it messed me up. It was very significant. So, so being emotional, it, it indicates something that's going on deep inside of me. And so it just, it just came out. And so I, don't, I know we have, different, uh, uh, we have different experiences with our father, some good, some bad. But the reality of what I'm trying to say is that, that the love of the father, whether you experience it or not, it is significant. It is significant. And so that what we find, though, is that even the love that we experience from our fathers here is only a shadow of the love that we are supposed to experience with God the Father. So, so if, if it's significant for my Father here in heaven, uh, on earth, how much more significant is the love that I experience from my, from my Heavenly Father? And so, so today, like Bria already mentioned, we're in the Advent season. This is the last Sunday of Advent. Um, and today we're going to talk about the Advent of love. So we're going we're gonna to remember and we're going to celebrate the love of God in the birth of Jesus. And we want to anticipate his coming, his presence in our life now and him coming and the implications that his love for us has on our life. And that's what we're going to do today. So let me, let me pray real quick. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for, man, just a chance to gather. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and this opportunity that we have to remember and to reflect and to anticipate and to expect um, because of, of him coming to be with us. Lord, I just pray that you would, man, that you would help me, Lord. I just come, I approach your throne in this ability to share your word with such humility because I am inadequate, Lord. So I just pray that, that it would be you that would speak through me and that would use my words to bless your people. So we thank you. We love you. Let's sing us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so listen, so we're going to talk about love today. We're going to talk about God's love. And, man, it's a really tall task to talk about God's love. It's, it's a monstrous task because you have God who is, who is infinite, and we try to describe him with our limited language and our limited words. It's also tough because there are several words in the Bible that the Bible uses to express love. But there's, there's one word that, that I want to use today that, that's been really important for me, and, and, um, and so it's going to be in Exodus chapter 34 if you have your Bibles. You could turn to Exodus chapter 34. Um, and then also what you may notice is we had a generous donor uh, donate some Bibles to us. And so if you don't have your Bible today, there, there should be a couple, at least a couple of Bibles in your pew that you can, that you can use um, if you want. And then if you find yourself in need of a Bible, you can feel free to, to take those home, uh, take that Bible home with you um, if you need it. 
So listen, so we're going to look at Exodus chapter 34. Let me tell you a little bit about what's going on in Exodus. And so what you have is you have God is trying to establish a relationship with his people, right? You had the people of Israel enslaved in Egypt, and God freed them from Egypt. And so now they are in the wilderness, and God is, again, trying to establish a relationship with his people. You have Moses that is leading them. Um, and before this verse, you have you have the fact that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, right? This is on top of Mount Sinai. And so now you have, once again, Moses at the top of the mountain receiving instruction uh, from God, okay? So here's what we have in uh, Exodus chapter 34, um, verse 6. It says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the, on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth, and he worshiped. And so what you have here is you have the guy, he's actually talking about his character. He's actually testifying about who he is to Moses. And so there's a, there's a couple words in there that I want to bring your attention to in, in, in verse 6 and also the beginning of verse 7 where it says, steadfast love, right? So the word there, the, the Hebrew word there for, for steadfast love is hesed. And so, um, and so what you have is you have people, when they're, they're translating the Bible, um, they use a lot of different words across the Old Testament to describe hesed and what it means, right? And so, so here's a few of those words. You have love, loving kindness, unswerving loyalty, mercy, righteousness, faithfulness, grace, covenant, friendship, unfailing love, right? You can continue to read the list. But, but all these words are used throughout the Old Testament and in different translations, all to try to, to, to communicate the meaning behind one word. So you have this word that's used 245 times in the Old Testament that is so significant, that is deep in meaning. And so when you have this, what you have is you have these, these translators having a hard time finding a one-to-one -one correspondence, right, that, that communicates the, the concepts that we have in, our, in today with the, the concepts that, that were um, being applied in the Bible back then. So they have a really, really hard and challenging time talking about has said and trying to wrap their brain around what does this mean and how can I communicate it? And so for me, I've talked about this before, and, and every time I talk about has said, I, I never talk about it the same way twice because I, I'm never satisfied with the way that I described it before. So I'm, I'm going to try to do it justice um, this morning. And hey, listen, and so as I'm describing Hesed, as I'm trying to unpack it for you, man, I just encourage you to listen well because uh, no shade, but we're lazy listeners. Um, and we are, I'm just being, humans, not anyone in particular, no shade. We're humans in general, not this church. Humans in general are lazy listeners. I don't want nobody saying, Pastor Lynn was talking about, we were, didn't call you lazy. Lazy listeners, so here's, here's what I would like for you to do. So when, when I'm talking about his said, I want you to imagine what would it be if, if you were to love someone like this, right? 
Put yourself in the position of like, oh, I'm describing how you would love somebody. So that's what I mean. So just, just kind of put yourself, insert yourself into um, this word and what it means to love in this way. So here's the said, right? So here's what you have. You have God who, who created man, right? He created Adam and Eve. And check out God's heart. He created Adam and Eve, and what God says, like, man, like, I have affection for you. I have love for you. What I desire is I desire to dwell with you. I want to walk the earth with you. I want to be in relationship. And as a matter of fact, I want us to, to rule the earth together. And so we all know how that turned out, right? So, so Adam and Eve, um, they, sin entered the world through them. So, so there goes that. But here's what God says. God says, listen. I have to make this work. I have to figure out a way so that we can be in relationship. So here's what God does. God says, all right, so, so I'm going to establish covenant relationship with my people. He established a covenant with Noah. He established a covenant with Abraham. He established a covenant with, with Moses and the people of Israel. He established a covenant with, with David. And so what God is saying in establishing the covenant is this. He said, hey, listen, I want to bless you. Hey, I want you to prosper. I want you to flourish. As a matter of fact, I want to use you so that the rest of the world can know uh, my nature and that can know uh, how, how good I am and who I am. I want to use you to do that, right? And you will be blessed and you will flourish in the process. But all I need you to do, I need you to trust me. I need you to trust my way. And so you have, this, you have this covenant, you have this, this commitment, this promise that's, that's enduring and it's reliable. And through it, as God is being faithful to his covenant, as he's being faithful to his commitment and his promises to us, right, we experience the generosity of God. And by through that, his desire for us to flourish and for us to prosper, check this out, even when we don't desire him. Because, listen, in Exodus chapter 34, you got to understand what's going on. Moses is at the top of the mountain, okay? The people of Israel is at the bottom of the mountain. And they say, Moses, is taking too long. So you know what they do? They fashion a golden calf. We just had the Ten Commandments that talked about you should have no other gods before me. And they're literally constructing another god, right? And God is like, yo, I just delivered you from Egypt. Where I just unleashed plagues on your behalf. Like I literally killed the firstborn son of all these people so that you could be set free. I just parted the Red Sea so that you could make it through safely. And now here in this moment, after I just did all that, you're going to fashion a golden calf that you can worship. But what does God do? He is still consistent and persistent with his promise. Now listen, now you know if that was you, you'd have been done a long time ago. You'd have been done, done. And I'm just being honest, there's some people that, that aren't in our life right now, speaking about me and Andrea, that if we saw them today, we, we wouldn't look at them twice. We wouldn't say nothing to them, huh, babe? We just keep it moving, because guess what? We done, done. You in this with me? We done, done. Come on, you know how you are. Don't act like it's just us. Dang. But listen, but this is who God is, though. In spite of that, he continues to pursue us. He continues to chase after us because he wants us to prosper and he wants us to thrive. And this is the said that we experience 
from God. This is the commitment. This is the love. This is uh, his desire for us to flourish. And this is Hassan. So there's a lot of, I, I could talk about a lot of things to continue to, to define this for you, to, to continue to unpack and illustrate this for you. So, but I want to stay focused. I'm, I, I want to stay focused. And so here's what we're here to do again, once again. We're in Advent season. And what I want you to do is I want to help you remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I want you to have this anticipation and the expectation for Jesus being present in our lives now and then his returning to come and the implications of the love that we experience from him. But in order for me to do that, moving forward, um, I want us to uh, uh, focus in on that. And, but here's what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to awaken us to a reality um, that, that is present that we don't always experience, okay? I'm going to say it again. I want to awaken us to a reality that is present that we don't always experience, okay? Leonard, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. For example, right, we are parents. We have Carrington. She's our daughter, and we have a routine in our household, right? So, uh, so Monday, tomorrow, um, man, that's gymnastics. So Monday, she goes to school. After school, she goes to gymnastics. <clears throat> Tuesday and Thursday, it's inevitable we're going to hang out with somebody, my wife and our family. And then Wednesday, Carrington has swim lessons. And then Friday is, is fun Friday. And then on Saturday, we're going to run some errands and, and, and do some different things. And then on Sunday, we're going to be here with you. And this is the routine. And this is how our life goes week in, week out. And so in that routine, sometimes the Lord snaps me out of it. And I say, oh, like, like I'm literally creating memories for my daughter right now. Maybe I should be intentional about the type of experiences that I'm creating for my daughter that can shape her memories. Sometimes I snap out of it and I'm like, oh, man, like my daughter is developing right now. Maybe I should be intentional about me contributing to her development. So the reality is whether I'm aware of it or not, Carrington is shaping memories and she's being developed. And then I may not be aware of it and I'm somewhere else. But it doesn't mean it's not still taking place. And my desire is to have the experience that, like, oh, like, she's experiencing these things and she's having memories of being developed, whether I'm aware of it or not. Does that make sense? But I want to be aware of it. So, again, here's what I'm saying. There's a reality that we, there's a reality that's present for us that we don't always experience, right? And so we're going to live in that here just a little bit. And so to do that, there's a definition of said, this guy named Michael Card. He gave a lot of his life to exploring this definition of a said and what it means. And here's, here's what he said when it comes to how he would define his said. He says this, when the person from whom I have the right to expect nothing gives me everything. I'll say it one more time. When the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. So I'm willing to bet that that you don't have to work too hard to recall in your memory some tragedy that you've had or some tragedy that you've witnessed someone close to you have. So maybe, maybe you or someone you have experienced um, some health challenges, some, some severe health challenges. Or maybe there's, there's someone that, that, that you know, or maybe you yourself, there's been someone that, that is very close to you that you love, and, and maybe they have lost, maybe they've lost their life. Or maybe you have endured some some really tough financial hardship, man, and it's made life really, really hard. 
Or maybe there's another relationship of someone that's, that's, that you're close to, and, and maybe that relationship is broken and fractured, and maybe there's no hope for that thing to be restored. So you, you fill in the blank with, with your own tragedy, but, but here's what can happen when we experience these things. Sometimes right, we, can, we can raise our fists at God in anger at him because we believe that, man, he has the power to, to, to keep me from experiencing these things, so why didn't he do it? And so we are mad at God and we get angry at God for what we're experiencing. But what we're really saying, what we're really saying is, listen, God, because of who I perceive you to be, I expected for my life to go a certain way, but it didn't. God, because of who I perceive you to be, um, I expected to live a life free of major health challenges for me and my family and those that are close to me. What we're saying is, God, because of who I perceive you to be, um, I expected a certain level of comfort in this life. But here's the reality. Because of our sin and our rebellion against a God that is good, holy, perfect, and just, our sin and rebellion, even one instance against this kind of a God, we can't expect anything from him because of that. And I think, I think we grossly underestimate the colossal reverberating effect of our sin and the sin of mankind on our lives and all of creation. So you have to let that sink in. And what you have to do is you have to identify every good thing that you experience in life. And wrap your brain around that and realize you have no right to expect those things from God because of our sin. And then on the flip side, though, what you then say is, but then I still experience all these good things in life because of his generosity. That is said. That is the character of God. That is the nature of God. And that is his love for you. So I mentioned earlier that with my, yeah, clap it up. I mentioned earlier that, that with my father, that, that I had things that were obstructing my view of him and his love for me. And so my question to you is, what, what are the things that are obstructing your view of God's love for you? And there's a lot of things that, that you can probably point to. There's a lot of things that I can say, but I want to stay focused and stay within my time. But, but let me suggest a couple. Um, one thing is I think that we take things for granted. I think that we live life, and I just think we, we expect things. We expect things to happen, um, and we expect our life to, to be a certain way. And we really don't think twice about it. I think we take a lot of things for granted. The second thing I think that happens is I think that uh, in some way we're in, we feel entitled to some things in our life. I think that um, sometimes we perceive that we live a good life. We may live a good more life, or we may look at how hard we try to live a certain way, and because of the perception of how good we are, we feel that we're entitled to life to look a certain way. So there's this us taking life for granted, and I think there's some things that we feel that we are entitled to. And so as I'm wrapping up, and as we, listen, as I just try to help you remember, anticipate, and expect um, these things, I, I challenge you to, to make these things happen. I challenge you to to, to carve out some time to do these things leading up to Christmas. Number one, identify the things that you take for granted. What are those things 
that you take for granted. The things that as you live your life and they just, they just kind of happen. Um, and you just expect it. You take it for granted. What are those things? Secondly, uh, what are the areas that you feel entitled? The areas that because you feel that God owes this to you. The areas that if the Lord took them away, you'd have a problem with that. What are those areas? So spend some time between now and Christmas identifying those things. And then lastly, there's this. Once you identify those things, attribute those things to God and his has said for you. And then allow those things to stir your affection for God and then to compel you to love God in the way that he loves you. How was that? With the said. That you would, that your love for God would be uh, reliable. That your love for God would be enduring. That your love for God would be generous. It would be unfailing. It would have a great commitment. How can you love God in the same way that he loves you? So listen, there's, there's a way, there's a, a spot to where said happens in the Bible. Um, it's, in, it's in Luke and, and it's in the New Testament. But, but the way it comes through in the New Testament is different because the New Testament is written in Greek. Um, and so the word actually said is not in the original language of the New Testament. But what you have is you have people trying to communicate the, some of the concepts from the Old Testament. And so a lot of times in the New Testament, um, when you see the word mercy, it's really trying to communicate this, this idea of hesed. And what you have is you have Mary. You have Mary in the song that she sings um, when she realizes that she is pregnant with the Messiah. Because the reality is, God has said, the culminating act of his has said is him giving us his son. For him to say that, that I'm going to make a new covenant with you and it's going to start with me, with my very presence being among you. And let me put this in perspective because Moses was on Mount Sinai and he couldn't even look at the presence of God. And then what God says is they know I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell among you. And then you have Mary who realizes that, that she is literally carrying the promise, right? This ultimate act of God's said towards mankind where he says, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going I'm to dwell with you and I'm going to give you my son so he can live and so that he can die and be resurrected on your behalf, and this, this song in Luke chapter 1 is her response to her having the ability to, to carry the promise and to, to carry the blessing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. I'm going to read it just once. Um, check out verse 50 and verse 54 where it says mercy. So the same mercy, I'm going to say, has said. So when I read it, just let it wash over you today. But, um, man, if you read this later on in the week, would you, how would you insert yourself into the story? How is, how can Mary's song be your song uh, today and as we approach Christmas? So let's look at Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 46 through 55. It says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will be called blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those uh, he is and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his hesed, as he spoke to the, our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So Jesus came. He loved us so much he came. He didn't hold on to his glory and his majesty in heaven. But he humbled himself to come be with us. And if he came, he came for good reason because we're meant to be connected to the Father. And he knew that if he did not come, that wouldn't happen. So what's the ultimate act of God's love for us today? And let us not be over familiar with that. Let us not escape the reality that we would experience had it not been for Jesus. So I just pray that, that today that you would know his love, his, his great love. I mean, how, how would... To what degree would you have to love someone to do all that God did over thousands of generations so that he could be reunited with you in relationship? So let's remember his love for us. Let's celebrate his love for us. Let's rejoice in his love for us. And if you're in the room today and you don't know his love, I invite you to come to know his love. All it takes is for you to surrender your life to him, for you to trust your life and trust that God is indeed leading you to a place of flourishing. At the end of the day, regardless of what we're facing, it's all going to turn out in our favor. You just have to trust him and surrender your life to him. So with that invitation to extend to you today. And so if, you, if you've done that today, well, we just invite you to, to come talk to myself, my wife, Andrea, Bria, anyone you've seen on stage. And we'd love to, we love to pray uh, with you. And then also, again, don't forget the, the Connect Point. Don't forget Christmas services um, this Thursday. Um, and uh, next th this upcoming Thursday, the 22nd. No services next Sunday, the first, and we'll see you guys on the 8th. But let me just, can you guys stand as we pray as, as we get out of here? So Lord, we do, we do thank you. We do worship you today. Lord, we do honor you today. And we don't take your love for granted. So Lord, I just pray 
I just pray that as we leave this place, we would have a great sense of your love for us. That we would that we would live and experience the reality of, of our sin, but also your great generosity. And Lord, I just pray that, that out of that love and us experiencing that love, that we would be compelled to love you even deeper and even greater. Let this Advent season be significant for us. So Lord, we thank you. We love you. Keep us together and safe until we all meet again. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Good seeing you guys today. Grace and peace.